I hope that that is more than a song. I hope it's a reality that you live in. If it's not, get ready, buckle your seats. In a few weeks, a couple of weeks now, we will be entering into a new series of messages called Break Free. Um, the reality is, is I think if we're all really honest with ourselves, we all do struggle. We're all held captive in some way, in some fashion uh, in our lives, uh, whether big or, or little or whether it is uh, debilitating or, uh, or not. It, again, there's, there's varying degrees of that. But we're going to be looking at uh, a man named Joseph who struggled with his own broken past. And he went through so much before the age of 17 which is where most people, again, will experience some of the most traumatic experiences of their life, the broken trust, the betrayal uh, of even family members of places that you're supposed to be safe places. That's not what Joseph experienced. We're going to be sharing a message series called Break Free. And so would you invite somebody? In fact, uh, you'll see these little cards, invite cards around. You know somebody. I know People, you know people, and maybe for your even yourself, would you just invite them, say, hey, there's a series coming up in a few weeks, and invite them to be a part, because none of us should live as captives to the brokenness of our own world. Um, let me ask you a question, because along those lines is where we're at today, is uh, in the private moments of your mind, in the private moments of your life, when you're in the secret places of your life, Maybe the television's turned off, Spotify's turned down, maybe the notifications are, uh, are off, maybe you're off of social media, and you've got time to yourself. What voice do you hear in those still moments? What, what is the voice that dominates louder than all the other voices? For some, it is, it's the voice of fear. It's like they truly live in, in fear, fear of what is unknown, fear of tomorrow, fear of the present, fear of even yesterday. I know it's strange that you could fear yesterday, but yes, even fear of yesterday, that yesterday may come back to haunt them. Maybe it's discontent. You literally live and you're, you, you've got your job and you've got your income and you've got your home and you've got your car and you've got your toys and you've got all of that. And it's like, I'm better, I go to bed at night. And when the lights are off, the television's off, the social media's put away, and I'm only, it's me in the bed. What voice do you hear? Is it that there's got to be more? Is there a spirit of discontent inside of you? Shame is another voice. In fact, I will say this. Shame is the voice of Satan. And he will speak louder than any other voice. When the television's off, the notifications are off, everything's turned off, and it's just you, there's that shame of you aren't worthy, you aren't good, and just the reminder of all of the brokenness of our lives, is that the voice that you hear? Maybe, maybe you're one of those who really experiences serenity in those moments kind of an inner voice that's inside of you that speaks peace to the outside of you. That inner world is, is, is at peace and therefore it enables the outer world to be at peace. But I have found more and more, uh, fewer and fewer people have that level of serenity where it's not just me alone with my skin and my body and my life and my story, but it's me alone and God is there. There's a sweet spot. And when you get there, you don't want to leave that spot. When you can be alone and know that you are with God, that is a beautiful moment. 
Take your Bibles and be finding Genesis again. We'll be, we've been there for a while. We'll be there for a couple more weeks ahead. And we are going to rejoin Jacob in his story. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32 today. And so be finding that. We'll be there in just a moment. But I can tell you this, that Jacob, when he was all alone and the voices were turned off and the people were away from him and the crowds and the busyness of, of, uh, of being uh, just existing in his, in his life, When there was silence, there was not solitude. There was turmoil. And we're going to see that today. And a part of that is because of the life that that he lived. And there's a word I want to give you, a new word added to your vocabulary. You probably won't use it. Talaonic. It's talaonic justice is that what he was experiencing in his life. There's different kinds of justice in Scripture. Talaonic justice is is the, the justice where you get where the punishment fits the crime. Whenever that you see in the Old Testament an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that's talionic justice. Where you did this, and because you did this, then this of equivalency should be on your record. Should You should experience that. Talionic justice is not just an Old Testament concept. We experience it today. You take a sexually promiscuous person who goes into relationships out there and all of a sudden they wake up one morning with an embarrassing disease or an unwanted pregnancy. It wasn't that God was mean to you. It's talionic justice. It's happening. You're experiencing. You're literally walking in it. Whenever you cheat on an exam, it wasn't that you got caught and therefore God was mean to you. It's that you were literally living out talionic justice where you were experiencing the consequences for your cheating. Indebtedness. Indebtedness gets a lot of people in this day. Even though our wealth is through the roof, our indebtedness is equally through the roof. And what happens again is the creditors come and talionic justice catches up with us or we can no longer live in that serenity. I want us to get us out of that. This is the whole message of breaking free, is breaking free from that. Well, I want to point to a verse in in, in chapter 32 that you might just quickly read over. But Bruce Walkie, who's probably the, the most foremost Old Testament scholar still alive today, he said this was actually a statement of emphasis. This is kind of like if you miss this, you miss the heart of the rest of the story. This is the statement. It's four English words. Jacob was left alone. What happens in verse 22, what happens in verse 23 is that he is actually sends his family off and we've come to this verse, this statement, and Jacob was left alone. And in that aloneness, what was going on? What was the prominent voice? What was the dominant voice that was going on inside of his head? Well, we get a little picture of few verses prior to that, that what was going on internally inside of Jacob was one of fear. Remember I talked about fears, one of those emotions that will come upon people when they're alone? We have that with Jacob. Because of maybe the talionic justice that he was living through, because he was a deceiver. Jacob means deceiver. He was a deceiver living out a deceptive life. He had grown up with a mother who trained him how to lie. He married into a family that lied. He even leaves Laban in in the last part of chapter 31 in the midst of deception. All that Jacob has known has been a life of lies. He has lived lies, he has told lies, he has operated in that, and now he has lived in the reality of this talionic justice coming back upon him as he's had to live out this lies. No, verse chapter 32, verse 7, this tells you what's going on inside. Inside of his spirit, he says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Why? 
Because he believed Talionic justice was about to come back on him. He was about to go back and encounter Esau. 20 years ago, Esau wanted to kill him. The last time he, he had heard from Esau, that he had talked to Esau, Esau had a bounty out for his head. 20 years later, he is still living in fear of his brother. 20 years later, time does not heal all wounds. That's a lie from the pit of hell. What happens, time may suppress the wound, but somewhere it will come up later on. So he is living in this state of fear, this state of anxiety. But here's what I want us to get to. Here's where I want we'll, that when we are alone, when we are left alone as Jacob was, that we will find serenity in that moment. But he's not there yet. He's not there. You may not be there. You know people that may not be there. They have to nightcap their themselves to sleep so that they can just let the stresses of life come down. They have to drop pills constantly just to get the anxiety out of their life. Now, I know there's a place for medication and all that kind of stuff, but whenever we have to prop our lives up because of the turmoil inside with pills and, 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 and whatever else self-help that may be out there, then we are, which is an oxymoron, by the way, self-help. You know, the, the whole idea is that we can't help ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. How are we going to get there? How is Jacob going to get past this life of shame, this life of fear and regret? Being alone is a good thing. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said it like this, God is a friend to the silence. In the silence, the voices that we hear versus the voice that we want to hear. The voice of serenity when God can speak and we can hear freely and clearly. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I love that. I love that. It's one of my favorite verses. It's been one of my favorite verses for a long time. But notice this, that there is a call to silence and solitude. There's a call to stillness. There's a call to get out of the rat race. There's a call to turn off the noise. And until that happens, we'll not know God. Be still and know that I am God. We have to learn to find God in the solitude, in the silence. We have to learn to be okay in that, in that space. The New American Standard translates it a little bit differently. Stop striving and know that I am God. Sometimes we elevate ourselves to God because we keep doing so much trying to fix the problems of the world. In reality, we need to stop and let God be God. Stop striving and know that I'm God. Embrace that space of being alone. Jacob was left alone. Now we come to a passage today in this chapter 32 that I'll have to say is, is a bit ominous. You're going to see darkness and you're going to see fighting and you're going to see warring, but it's of a spiritual cosmic battle where Jacob is, is fighting against God literally and we'll talk about that. We'll unpack that. But here's what I want us to see. That in our darkness, God wants to shine his light. That, that in the silence, God wants to speak. That in the loneliness, God wants us to feel him. Feel his embrace. Feel his warmth. Feel his serenity. And what we're going to look at is chapter 32 today. 
But if you read the first part of chapter 32, you're going to read about the distress and the anxiety that Jacob's going through. But what we're going to read is something in the middle. Get that out in a moment. But what we're going to read is that next week, chapter 33, there's a different Jacob. There's a totally different Jacob. So here's what I want you to see. Jacob of chapter 32 will not be the Jacob of chapter 33. What happens? The little section of scripture that we're going to key in on today is what happened. That's the pivotal moment. But what happens in the new is a new life is formed in Jacob. There's several things that we're going to see throughout the rest of the Jacob story that are beautiful. One, he gets a new name and a new character. We're going to see that today. Remember the character of of a deceiver will no longer be his character. We're going to see that he wants to build an exclusive altar to God, the most high God. It's no longer pluralism. He practices pluralism when you go back in your own time and you read it for yourself. In chapter 31 of verse 53, he's actually building a, a, an altar to God most high, God of Abraham, but he also builds a, a temple or an altar to Nahor, the God of Laban. So he's literally practicing pluralism. But whenever you skip over to chapter 33, verse 21, he builds one altar to one God. He realizes that there's not a plurality of gods. He realizes that there is only one God. So he builds an altar to that God. You're going to see him seek peace and restoration. In the very next chapter, the people that he, the person that he hurt the most, Esau, he's going to try to reconcile it. This is what happens when new life happens. This is what happens whenever you have an encounter with God is that new life comes and you become a reconciler. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. That happens because you're a child of God. How does this reconciliation mindset happen? It happens when you're a child of God walking in the new life in God. Also, you're going to see there he's going to experience a serenity through the rhythms of life. He's, he's going to experience the serenity through the rhythms of life. Next week's message is that we're going to talk about creating sustainable rhythms for life. Sounds like a self-help kind of thing, but please go back to chapter 32 and reread the passage that we're reading today because we become sustainable in our living for tomorrow when we have this encounter with God today. This is new life. So new life is not just I get a home in heaven when I die. New life means I get a new name, a new character. New life means that I I have an understanding of who, who the most high God is, the only God of the universe, that I become a peacemaker, a reconciler of brokenness and broken relationships, that I experience serenity. There's not another religion, philosophy in the world that can show that, model that, and offer that to people than a relationship with God. Let's look at this passage a little closer because this is, again, a bit of an obscure passage. Um, it is one that uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, called it uh, one of the most obscure passages in the Bible. And uh, Walter Kaiser called it the most difficult passage in the Bible, and you will get it as you read it. I need to read it in its context all the way through, and then we'll break it apart. Verse 23, after he drops off his wife or sends his wife and his kids and their fortune on ahead. Then we pick it up in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him 
until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. Now, by the way, who's this man? Hang on to that question. I'll answer it. It'll answer it right here in this text. Jacob doesn't know who it is right now. He's just fighting with this guy. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched him, or at least he, there's no hint that he knew who it was. He touched his hip, his socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint and he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, this person who's wrestling with, let me go for the day uh, uh, has broken. And Jacob, but Jacob, who was resisting him at first, is now grappling, grappling hold of him and not letting him go. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name. So no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God. You fought with God. You've wrestled with God. So now we know who this is. This is God he's wrestling with. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And Jacob called the name of the place Penel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. Again, a reiteration of who he is warring with. I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. Please don't miss that. Circle it, highlight it. Don't miss my life has been delivered. What did we just read the emotional state that he was in? He was distressed. He was afraid. He was living in shame, in fear of what his future lied as he met his brother. And now he's living delivered? Talk about breaking free. This guy breaks free. Does he break free on his own? No. The sun rose upon and he passed in Penel and limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is uh, of the hip socket because they touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew uh, of the thigh. It wasn't mean that, that, that this part was unclean. It just meant they didn't want to eat that as a reminder to them, whether it be a cow or a goat or a sheep or whatever. They didn't want, they wanted to be a reminder to them. Remember that time that Jacob wrestled with God. Now, what does this mean? This obscure passage, this most difficult passage to understand is every time in this wrestling match with God, every time God makes a move, there's a counter move. I've never wrestled. I've talked to people who wrestle and they've said that, yes, that's true in wrestling. Every time there's a move, there's a counter move. I used to box and there's a way in boxing that every time your opponent makes a move, you have a counter move. Anytime you're grappling with something, there's a move, there's a counter move. I want us to compare and contrast the move and the counter move and see how God is moving in you, wanting to move in you, turn things around as we just sing about as he's trying to do this. What's our counter move? Number one, when God initiates, because that's what we see in this passage, God initiates, what are we to do? We're to respond. When God initiates, when God makes the, the first move and he will make the first move, then what are we to do? We are to respond. What do you see in the very first part of Jacob? He doesn't respond, he resists. 
And some people today, and you can be in this room right now, right here, hearing this message, and you can may feel like you're Jacob, you're all alone, and you're the only one in this room, but right now, God's speaking to your heart already. He's been speaking to your heart for a while. He's been speaking to your heart outside this room in the circumstances of your life. Listen, you can resist all day long. Please stop the resisting. The best counter move to God's move on your life is to respond. Respond to him in a proper manner. Now, what's this whole thing of this God showing up in the man, yet he's a God and he's a man all rolled up in one? Think about another time in Scripture that we see a God and a man all rolled up in one. Jesus. This is what's called in theological terms, another new word for you, theophany. This is a theophany where God makes a physical manifestation of himself among mankind. He's not just spirit form. He's a physical being. He, he manifests himself in different forms. In some ways, in, not always in the physical human being form, but in other ways. In Moses, it was a burning bush. That God was in the bush. And I thought through 11 different accounts of different theophanies in Scripture. Moses had one, Abraham had one, Adam and Eve had one when they were walking in the cool of the evening and God shows up. That's a theophany where God is physically walking among them. Gideon experiences one, Solomon experiences one. They're all throughout scripture. You go to the book of Daniel when the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace and the guard looks in, he sees a fourth person walking around with him. Who is that? It's a theophany. It's God in, in flesh being in the furnace. So these are not completely uncommon. And Jacob experiences this. Let's go back to verse 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and, he, and a man, flesh and blood, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, I have to say this. I have to give Jacob some credit here. He's a brawler. He's a brawler because he's able to hold off God. He's able to push back on, on God. He's able to resist on God for maybe eight hours. It was at night when it started and it was daybreak when it ended. He's, he's able to hold him off. He's resisting him. That's what we see at first, this resistance to God at work. And when the man saw that it had, he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, hang on to this. I literally wrote in the margin of my Bible, sweep the leg. And if you have watched Karate Kid, that's the move that God puts on him here. He sweeps the leg, takes him out, puts him on the ground. So he's got to get away. And there's this, there's this encounter and he sweeps the leg. This is probably the second most intimate and intense encounter of God and man. I think the first one is when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he's hemorrhaging blood and he's praying that he wouldn't have to go to the cross. That's probably the most inti- that's probably the most intense and most intimate one. This is the second in my book. Whenever God and here wrestling it out and they're 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 literally he's resisting and not responding to God and there's this this battle this cosmic battle. Here's what happens though. Anytime God initiates a relationship with us, it creates a disequilibrium in us. It creates a tension inside of us. Every one of us will have to go through that at some point in our life. Nicodemus went through it, and it was not so much a God sweeping the leg on Nicodemus, but it was actually more of an intellectual. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said this, I say to you, unless a man is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
that created tremendous amount of disequilibrium inside of the head and the heart of Nicodemus. He just could not fathom that. Go read the story. But he introduces the idea that you must be born again. Many people look at this as Jacob's born-again conversion experience, that up until now, he's lived a life of lie after lie after lie after lie. But this is the point when he tr- he's been practicing pluralism. We see that. But this is the point that he realizes that he needs God and that God is pursuing him. Creates disequilibrium. Nicodemus wrestles with God. Uh, Saul wrestles with God. In Acts chapter 9, read it for yourself. He's on the road to Damascus to go kill some more Christians. He's already killed some back here. He's going to go kill some more. So he's on his way. And as he get, he's on his way, God strikes him down, blinds him, creates disequilibrium. He breaks his will. There's, there's going to be a moment. Now this is, call it conversion. Call it born again. Call it what you want to call it. Call it this time in your life when God initiates something in you and he is calling you to himself. God initiates it. Are you going to resist it or respond to it? Resist it. Fight him all night long. I challenge you, my friends, don't don't fight him. You did not choose him, Jesus said. I chose you. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. God's initiating the the, the calling. He's creating the, the calling. Why? So that I appointed you that you would bear fruit and fruit that would remain. Isn't that the beautiful life that God's calling all of us to? It's the life that I just showed you when I gave you the list of what Jacob's going to move to. A life of serenity, a life of knowing who God is, a life of having a new name and a new character. That's the new life in Christ. That's the life that he's calling us to. But we got to realize, we don't choose God. God chooses us. He initiates it. Here's another verse for us. I want us all to read it out loud together. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. Read it with me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Right now, some of you in this room, I dare say, are hearing God's voice. Don't resist. Respond. When I was eight years old, I had that disequilibrium moment with God. I hated church. I hated going to church. We went to a little country church on the other side of Rogers. And it was a, we didn't have a children's church. So when we all went to big church every week and it was a chore, I sat next to my mother. My mother would say, be still a thousand times. She'd give us games, books, anything, bribery, throw money at us, whatever, just to keep us still. Finally, in this resisting of this moment, I, after asking her a thousand times how much longer, she says, you know what? If you will listen, it'll actually go by faster. I was all about getting by faster. So I listened. And you know what happened? It made sense. God initiated a conversation with me. He said that I needed him at eight. What was I doing at eight? Was I doing drugs in the sandbox? No, I was just a brat. I was a lying, cheating, stealing kid at eight years old. And that's who I was. That was my character. But God created this equilibrium even at eight. Where at eight, I received Christ. I entered into him. I quit resisting and I responded. And I said, yes, God, if you are calling me, even in a childlike way, I will say yes. Number two, God makes a move. We make a counter move. 
when God speaks, request. Make that request. Notice this. There's this major shift that happens. He goes from resisting God to hanging on to God. He goes from pushing God away to saying, God, I'm not going to let you go away. I love verse, verse 26 whenever it just pivots. All of a sudden, there's this experience. He says, then he said, God said, he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's hanging on. He went from pushing him away to hanging on. I love that. I'm not going to let you go, God. I'm gonna, I need the blessing. Push pause. What did he do a couple of messages ago? He stole the blessing from Esau. Why does he need another blessing? He's already been to a foreign land. He's got women. He's got two wives. And he's got wealth. You can read the text. He's coming back wealthy and with wives. Why does he need anything else? He's got it, right? He's moving up the, the, the ladder. He is physically rich and physically rich. Okay? He's got that going for him. But he's spiritually impoverished. He's broke. He has success in his career, success in his family. Physically, he is rich, but he is spiritually bankrupt. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I and you and every last one of us has to reach a point in our life where we're bankrupt. And we're going to hold on to God and we're going to cry out to God and we're going to say, God, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And the word blessing is the idea of a fullness of life. He had the fullness of life physically. He needed the fullness of life spiritually. And I think about Northwest Arkansas. Are we wealthy? Do we got it going on? I, you may say, I don't make as much as the person next door. Don't, don't go there. Just drive somewhere else in Arkansas. Just go to other parts of this country. We're quite well off here. But the problem is, is that we're like the people who have the wives and have the, have the wealth and have the, have the things and have the toys and, and whatever, but we are bankrupt on the inside because we have not been blessed spiritually. I want you to read this verse for me. Maybe the most important verse for Northwest Arkansas. Read it, with, read it out loud with me. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? There's nothing worth more. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. He wants to give us the fullness of life. That's why he exists. That's why he came. And that's why he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's more than just a Bible verse you tell your kids. It's Jacob when he's about 45 years old and he's hanging on to God and he's saying, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me because I've got the physical blessings, but I need the spiritual blessing of you a part of my life. 
And that's when he enters into this new life. That's whenever he gets a new name. That's whenever things begin to change in his storyline. And listen, in a few weeks, we're going to have a baptismal gathering. And I love this because this is always a day that we mark our new life in Christ. Listen, I can't baptize you. Uh, it's not It's not me telling my kid when to be baptized. It's not me sprinkling you or spraying you or uh, any other ways. It, baptism is me making a statement about my faith in Jesus. And because I'm in a relationship with Jesus, I am declaring my faith in Christ. And if that is you or you are here today or you give your life to Christ today, then you are the one right now that this day is going to be for. Please be a part of it. But one more counter move, move, counter move. When God works, we receive. When he initiates, we respond. Quit resisting. When he speaks, make your request. God, I'm going to hold on to you, God. Not going to let you go until you bless me. And then whenever God works, you receive it. You receive that new life in Christ. So again, go back to this interchange between the two. And I want you to see what he received. He received, it says in verse uh, Verse 28, then he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and you have have prevailed. And Jacob asked, and he said, please let me know your name. He says, why is it you ask my name? He said that you bless him. So Jacob called the name of that place Penel. That was the place that he gave himself to Christ, that he encountered God Yahweh, the most high God, he encountered him on that day. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. His life was not free from the distress and the anxiety. He did not have serenity. He did not have that new knife and new name. He was not delivered from his deceptive life until he had this encounter with God. This is why I can't get away from the fact this is Jacob's conversion moment when he encounters God. When was yours? When did God create that disequilibrium and you received him and quit resisting him? Or you, you responded to him. When was that? What happens? What do you receive? You receive new life and a new identity. New life and a new identity. Notice what it says in this, in this verse here. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. You're no longer the deceiver. Your new name is Israel. What a beautiful thing when God gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. And in Christ, we get that new name, that new identity. Take your cup today. Begin to open it. There's two layers to the, to the seal. Open it up and separate the bread from the cup. I want to read another verse to you. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. What did I say? He received a new name. He received a new identity. He was a new person. Where is this in the New Testament? It happens in this verse right here. We are a new creation in Christ. We have a new life in Christ. And the answer is in Christ. That's the magic. That's the difference maker. In Christ, you get new life. In Christ, you have a new beginning. As we take this cup today, we take two things. We take the the, the bread first, 
the bread represents the body of Christ. That Christ, just like when Jacob, he encountered the physical manifestation of God. So Jesus came to this earth to be the physical representation of God. He is God. We take this in remembrance of him. We take this cup in remembrance of his blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Would you pray with me? Father, in Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, we're given a new name. In Christ, we're given a new identity. In Christ, we get the blessings of the fullness of life. In Christ, serenity can be ours. Thank you, Jesus, for wrestling with Jacob. Thank you, God, for creating disequilibrium in our life as we wrestle with truth. May we not resist, but may we respond. And may we receive the new life that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's new life. There's a new identity. But he also received one other thing. He received a redeemed past, which gave him a promising future. When God steps into our broken past, again, remember Jacob's the deceiver. He's the liar. He's born a liar. He was made a liar. He was developed into a liar. All he knew was living a life of lies. Now he is stepping into a new life and that new life is setting him free from that, giving him a new name, a new identity, but he still has this broken past. We all have a broken past. We all have a story and sometimes we're embarrassed by it. Many times we're embarrassed by it. A person who's divorced may sit in a room like this and say, I'm not worthy. I have done, I've been a part of a broken promise. God can't use me. person got somebody pregnant. Maybe you were the person who got pregnant out of wedlock. You've lived with shame and remorse and regret and that shame voice has been pounding you. It hasn't been God's voice pounding you. It's been the shame voice pounding you. Maybe he's ended in an abortion. I've killed a baby. God could never use me. You struggle with same-sex attraction. God doesn't love me. You're addicted. Fill in the blank. I'm disqualified. I'm underqualified. God could, I could never serve. I cheated on the person I was committed to. I can't be loved. I'm a felon. I've got a record. I've got a rap sheet. You Google my name. My name pops up with the things that that I did wrong and warnings about me. 
when Jacob got up from that wrestling match with God, I want you to notice that he got up with a limp. And the sun rose upon him and he passed Penel limping because of his hip. This broken life that God redeemed him from, he walked for the rest of his life with a limp that was a reminder to him of his life of deception. But it also gave him the hope of a future that he is now in Christ and he has been forgiven. It's a part of his story and you can't separate it. It's a part of God's redemption work in us. Even Paul struggled with a thorn in the flesh. And he wanted that thorn in the flesh gone. He prays three times, God, take away the thorn in the flesh. But what does God say? No, you get to live with that thorn in the flesh because my grace is sufficient for you. See, we experience God's grace in that redemptive story. You may be, for the rest of your life, walking with a limp, but let that be a part of the God's story that he is writing in you. See, your story isn't about your limp. Your story is about God's grace. So let the story be toned of your broken past and my broken past and other people's broken past, but let it be a story of redemption and hope for one another. Let us celebrate that today. Let us walk in that today. Let us stand and dance in that today that we have new life in Christ. Would you stand and would you worship with us as we worship the God who sets us free?